Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and today it's my turn to fly solo. Uh, Jill is very, very busy, so I am here all by myself giving you guys a brief intro to this episode. Today's episode is an interview with debut author Elle Wild. She has written a book that is really, really interesting and really uh, fun. It's called Strange Things Done. It's kind of a crime noir novel set in the Great White North up in Canada. So imagine a crime novel where someone wakes up not sure what they have done and they are blamed for something that they're not sure if they've done it or not. And you can't escape because you are in a town that is completely cut off from the rest of the world. So uh, she has a really unique life. She has been an award-winning short filmmaker. She's been a radio host. She's lived in Canada. She's lived in England. She has lived in the United States. Uh, she was a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, for our librarians who are listening in, her book is one of the many, many titles available in our Holiday Spectacular. Uh, that's up to 50% off. And you... Very likely will have gotten an email from us showing a little bit of a promotion for this title. This is the first of our Holiday Spectacular uh, author interviews. So uh, doing two interviews this week, we will get back to some normal uh, genre type suggestions next week for you if those were what you were looking for. But I really think you should take a listen to this. She's a lot of fun and her, her book is incredibly interesting and she had a few really great uh, suggestions for other books that people might be interested in if they uh, are into mystery and thriller and noir and things of that nature. If you want to reach uh, Jill and I, uh, you can email us at feedback at overdrive.com. We listen to all of those. If you want some suggestions for your upcoming holiday reading, uh, we are here to help you out with all of that. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where if you follow Overdrive, you will see our mannequin challenge that we did this week. Uh, you can also see all of the books we recommend on Overdrive.com. For our librarian friends, you can find all of those in Marketplace as well. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, if you wouldn't mind going to iTunes and giving us a five-star rating and maybe giving us a comment or two, that just kind of boosts us up and lets people discover us a little bit more easily. So if you have Friends who are looking for book recommendations, they can randomly find us on iTunes as well. All right, that's enough begging for now. I will let you get to this episode. I hope you enjoy this interview with Elle Wild on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by debut author Elle Wild. And I don't normally do this, but I'm actually going to read her short bio really quickly for you because I really like it. It made me uh, smile. So her bio is Elle Wild grew up in a dark, rambling farmhouse in the wilds of Canada where there was nothing to do but read Edgar Allan Poe and watch PBS Mysteries. 
She's an award-winning short filmmaker and the former writer and host of the radio program Wide Awake on CBC Radio 1. Her short fiction has been published in Ellery Queen magazine, and Strange Things Done, her first novel, won the Arthur Ellis Award in 2015 for Best Unpublished First Crime Novel and was shortlisted internationally. And now it is an actual, real-life published novel. So, Elle, thank you for joining us today, and congratulations. Thank you, and good morning. (laughs) So, can you maybe tell our listeners and readers who aren't aware about your book what Strange Things Done is all about? Okay. Well, Strange Things Done is about a character, Joe Silver, who is a journalist, and she's new to Dawson City, which is up in the north of Canada, in the Yukon near Alaska. Um, and in her first week of, uh, of arriving in town, um, a body has been found in the Yukon River, and it's, it's not clear at first whether it's an accident or a murder. Um, the night before this person has fallen into the river, Joe has gone out to the pub and tied one on, and her memory of events is very hazy. <laughs> but the morning after, when she awakens, there's an RCMP police officer at her door asking her very hard questions about her whereabouts the night before. So it comes to light that she may be a suspect in this case, so she has to investigate her own missing memories in order to find out what's happened and um, get to the bottom of who's in the river and why. And I love the idea of setting your book in the Yukon. So what about Dawson City intrigued you so much as a potential setting? Is this uh, where you grew up, or, or is there something special about it that uh, you thought would make a good setting? Well, I have to say, I was interested in Dawson City before I went up there. Um, my dad used to tell me stories about Dawson. We had family members that had a gold mine there, and he used to read me the Robert Service poem, um, there are strange things done under the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. And that opening always really captivated me. So I was thinking, uh, I, I knew that I was writing a noir, and I was thinking of setting it in the Yukon. And I very much wanted to go up and spend time there so I could hear how people spoke and get a feel for character. So I applied for uh, an artist-in-residency with Kayak, which is the Klondike Institute of Art and Culture. And they um, accepted the application, and I was up there for two months in the winter. Um, at the time, I was a short filmmaker, so my my job was to um, screen my short films and talk to the community about them, which is <laughs> one of the better jobs I ever had, aside from the CDC. Um, but um, I just really fell in love with it. I mean, it's it's such a strange, quirky place, but it's also a place where you have a real sense of isolation that in the winter, um, the roads snow over quite a bit and it's dicey whether or not you can get a flight in or out of Dawson, depending on the runways and the, and the state of the weather. Um, and then the other escape, if you like, out of Dawson City is at the ferry, which in the summer um, is in the Yukon River, and you can take it over to the top of the World Highway, which links you to Alaska, and that's probably your quickest route out. But in the winter, they take it out um, and dry dock it. So the only real route out is to the south. You've got mountains to the north and west of you. And if that highway snows over, 
then you're really isolated. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, that it's a bit of a creepy feeling that you may not be able to get out. And at the time, there was no hospital there and a small handful of police officers and a couple of snowmobiles for them. So I found that quite exciting and intriguing. I I have to say, I completely agree. As I was going through and doing all this research, the idea of being that isolated and not being able to leave somewhere, like for me, I will even... If, if my wife and I go somewhere with someone else, so like I don't even, I, we drove with another couple and I don't have the ability to leave when I want to, even that little bit amount of not being able to control where I go is so uncomfortable and it's such a, a strange feeling. So I can't even it imagine. It is a strange feeling. I, I can't even imagine being in a city like that, especially with, you know, a potential, you know, is is there a killer on the loose? Is there not? Did I do something wrong? Not being able to get out of where I am, it feels like that makes the environment you chose almost like a part, like a, a player in the in the story. Like That's just, I have to tell you, that gave me chills just reading about being trapped somewhere. So that, that in and of itself, job well done. Oh, I'm so glad. And I, I mean... I think the other really interesting thing about Dawson City is it's a place where you absolutely have to depend on your neighbors. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time sitting in coffee shops eavesdropping, and, you know, there's always a lot of gossip about who has helped take in the wood, who has helped, you know, clear a driveway or part of a road, and who hasn't. And, you know, a, a lot of the time you depend on your neighbors there to look after you if you have a problem or your power goes out, which it does regularly. <laughs> and then if you don't have a wood stove, you know, you, you, it's gonna, it could be potentially minus 50 out. You need to get somewhere warm. So that feeling of being dependent on other people around you and then combined with the fact that you don't know who you can trust in this story. And I also really wanted Dawson City to be sort of a character in, in and of itself. I mean, Joe Silver, I, what, I set out to write kind of a neo-noir, if you like, where um, instead of everything being very dark and rainy, it's suddenly very white and wintry. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of the detective being one step ahead of everyone, she's actually one step behind. And everyone knows what's going on in the city, or at least some layers of it. And she's kind of the last one to find out. Um, and there's a sense that it's her against Dawson City a lot of the times so that the place is kind of one of the antagonists in the story. But I, aside from that, Dawson City is also a very charming place where, you know, everybody knows everybody, but it's a it's a double-edged sword, I guess. And I think I saw, it might have been on your website, is it, is it Dawson City that they're an overwhelming majority of the population actually leaves during the winter to kind of... I don't want to say escape, as you mentioned, but but leaves during the yeah. winter months. <laughs> I think it's a mass exodus. You know, um, <laughs> I I think I I came in October just before Halloween when I was starting my residency, and everything was closing up. All the shop windows were boarded up, and they were flipping the signs. You know, closed for season, and people were going home by the busload. And people would be talking. A lot of people seem to. Well, they would go south, um, whether that's Seattle or whether that might mean Mexico for some people. But you'd see them packing up their cars with everything on top and heading out. And it kind of feels like the reverse gold rush. I think it goes from roughly 60,000 people in the summer to about 
1,200 people in the winter that stay full time. So it's, you know, it is quite a flight. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Um, so you mentioned your protagonist, Joe Silver. Did you put any traits from your own life or any pieces of yourself into that character? You know, I think I put pieces of myself in all of the characters. I love all of the characters. Um, and I think, like like all people, they have their ups and downs, and some I'd want to spend more time with than others. But I feel like I sympathize with all of them. Um, jo, I mean, she's a journalist, and I have worked a little bit as a journalist, although I consider myself sort of more of a gonzo journalist than she is. Mm-hmm. So I'm familiar with some of her background. I never worked in it as, as much as, as she does. Um, but no, I don't think I am Joe Silver. Certainly not. I think I'm a very different person. Um, but I certainly feel, I think as a person that's lived in a lot of different countries, um, I sympathize with her fish out of water sense, if you like, and this idea of coming into a small town and trying to figure out what's going on and who's who. And, um, I really wanted to make the story like an onion where you could peel off layers. And as soon as she kind of reveals one crime that's happening in the town, she realizes that that isn't the reason for the body in the river, but that certainly is happening. Then she'll find something else and peel it back and the same thing happens again. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think that, um, a little piece of writers goes into most of the character, to be honest, but I don't feel that I'm any one in particular. And then, so in regards for doing kind of like background research for this, you obviously mentioned going to Dawson City and, and learning a lot about how people spoke and things like that. What was the rest of your research process like? I think there there is a, a small story on your on your uh, website about doing some, uh, some Google searches that had you... Uh, be questioned perhaps or I guess how uh, <laughs> how did you do your research for for this book for things that you may not have been aware of ahead of time yes um, well it's interesting the way Google will start advertising to you as you research and I had <laughs> to do a lot of unpleasant research into serial killers and um, you know how they tricked their victims or how they convinced their victims that they were trustworthy and then I would find I was getting very strange ads on on Google but um, you know I spent um, as, as you said I spent a lot not a lot of time a few months living there and I spoke to a lot of people I, I did my best to meet with um, the coroner of the town and the RCMP officer and then I worked with um, I live on Bowen Island in BC and I worked and uh, that's in the west coast of Canada Um, I worked with RCMP officers here to figure out the process of how uh, the investigation would be run. What would you do with a a body in Dawson City, for example? Um, And actually, they really do have a freezer in their recreational center (laughs) where if somebody turns up dead, that they would put this body in the freezer and tape over it with RCMP stickers, and then it would be flown down to Vancouver for the um, autopsy. Um, So just sort of the process things went like that. I did a lot of online research um, and spoke to 
people and met with First Nations representatives to figure out the Johnny Caribou character. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, the nice thing about being a writer is people are generally willing to talk and give information and give opinions um, about characters. I mean, it was interesting that my Johnny Caribou, originally I had made him older, but after talking to First Nations people in Dawson City, they said that he wouldn't be unmarried if he were older, that people in the North marry so much younger, so he would have to be a much younger person or have more of a reason for not being married. So it um, sort of the characters morphed a bit after talking to people. Mm-hmm. And okay, so we, we mentioned earlier that you, you know, you've created award-winning short films and you've hosted radio programs and you've, you've written short fiction that has been published and a lot of times when people decide to write a, a debut novel they'll do it um, as like a secondary thing um, you know if they're doing multiple other jobs they'll just you know whenever they find time they'll, they'll write a book but you chose to write a book and you had to move somewhere for several months to do it so what made you yeah. what made you decide to to kind of tackle this project well, because I had started out as a, a short filmmaker and I'd been to film school, I was gearing up to make this my feature screenplay that I would then um, go back to the same sources who had helped fund the short films and try to make my directorial debut. Um, but at that point, I I got married and I was three months pregnant directly after getting married and um I had already applied before I was pregnant for this writer-in-residency position, and I didn't want to not do it because I was aware of the fact that I was going to have more responsibilities, and I didn't know whether when I would have time to do it again. So I felt a lot of pressure to do as much as I could at that particular point in life before the baby came, essentially. Um, and. Um, it was really nice to have that time where I could just focus on the project for a little bit. And then once I had a baby, I had to, you know, either work on it very late at night or when the baby was napping. And I kind of got into a routine, moved to California not long after that, and got into a routine of my baby would sleep from 9 to 10.30 every morning. So from 9 to 10.30 every day, I tried to write a page. And I just kept that up. And now my my son is older, but I homeschool him um, a few days a week. And so I set my alarm for 5 a.m. and get up and work a couple of hours every day before he wakes up. And I'm working on the second novel now. So um, I'm trying to carry on with that, that pattern I established of, you know, if you just chip away a little at a, a time you can actually get a project done even if you have so many other responsibilities during your day. I think that's really great advice for aspiring writers too because a lot of people will say I want to write a novel and then they'll look at a blank word doc and it seems impossible it's that journey of a thousand miles but if you like you said if you make a goal each day to kind of write okay I'm going to do one page today or I'm going to do a chapter this week I, I think that makes it much more uh achievable you get those kind of small goals i like that a lot definitely yeah definitely small goals and i think also for for myself and i know that um so i was in the ubc that's university of british columbia in vancouver um masters of um fine art and creative writing program and a lot of my colleagues there there was debate about do you start with an outline do you 
or do you not? And I'm probably because of the screenwriting background, I really like to have an outline that I write to because ultimately you get to that halfway point and you'll ask yourself questions, very hard questions about what the story's about and where it's going. And it's nice to have answered those questions and have a blueprint. For me, it's like trying to build a house without having a floor plan or a blueprint. You need to know where you're going so you can write to it. But if you have that blueprint before you sit down and start writing, yes, it takes you longer to get writing, which maybe arguably stifles the creative process a little bit. But once you get writing, you can write to that plan every day. And it makes it a lot easier if you're if you don't have a full day to work in every day to keep your place. So I found that really helpful. So I want I want to circle back to two things you mentioned there. One, I know that like you said you have a screenwriting background. So first quick question is do you have any aspirations or plans to make this into a potential film now that you have the fil- the the book and the story written out? And then two, are you able to tell us what your second title that you're working on is about or is that still a secret? I'm not sure about the second question. I'll come back to it. Um <laughs> Um, oh gosh, I forgot the first question. Oh, um, are, first are you uh, are you thinking or planning or maybe have any aspirations oh, yeah. of creating a film out of this story now that you have it all written written down? Um, yes, actually, I am going to turn it into a screenplay, and I am hoping to make it into a feature film. So that will be next, um, and I'm. Um, Working, Women in Film in Video Vancouver has a a deadline in January to submit, I think, a two-page synopsis for um, a screenplay that you would like to develop. So I'll start there and um, see how I go. But I feel that, you know, I've done it before and it was always the goal. So um, I will just, now that I have more time again, I'm able to think about that as a film project whereas before it just it wasn't possible and actually it was quite liberating liberating to to write it as a novel um and i now see myself as being primarily a novelist rather than a filmmaker Mm -hmm. um you know i don't have aspirations now to direct it whereas i would have before now i'm only interested in writing it so um that's a big change for me um but yeah it's a it's a happy one Um, And then your second question about what I'm working on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's complicated to answer because (laughs) um, there are discussions about whether or not there might be a second in a series um, in the Joe Silver story. And there may be. And it kind of depends on what the publisher and the agent agree on. So uh, there's some outlining happening. I'm not sure whether that will go or not. And in the meantime, I've, I am starting a second novel. I'm not sure how much I can say about it, except that um, I started working on it when I was in the UK. Um, I've just I moved back from the UK last year, and I was there four years. And it's a story. It's a, a mystery set in Victorian London and Dorset. Um, I'm quite excited about it, and I'm at this point. I'm doing a lot, a lot of research. Mm-hmm. I um, at one point did a degree in history, and I'm now putting that to good use. But it's a totally different beast again, <laughs> because there's just so much background information that has to be sourced, 
um, which Dawson researching Dawson City by comparison was a lot easier. <laughs> so, um, and, and it's a bigger project in scope for sure. Um, I don't know how much more I can say about it at this point. That's okay. I'm very that, excited about that, it. That's, you could have told me I'm not saying a word, and I would have been okay with that as well. So I appreciate even the little <laughs> bit you gave me. Um, so you have you seem to have a, a you know a ton of different interests and and different things you want to talk about and share and write about. Um, was this kind of the same thing when it came to books you were reading as as a child? Do you remember being? interested in all sorts of different things were there any particular authors or series or anything like that that stuck out to you that you remember reading fondly or anything like that oh i was a huge reader my mom was the story time uh circle storyteller at the library and then she worked as a librarian so often after school we had to and uh, go down and listen to her read the story which i think sometimes we felt put out over but <laughs> When we were there, <laughs> which seems funny to me now because now I do it at my son's school, but um, but when we were there, it was like this magical world you could go into and picking up a book was a passport to going anywhere. So um, it's thrilling to me now that Strange Things Done might be out in a library somewhere, you know, perhaps even one that I used to be in. Um, but I, I know at one point I was really interested in mystery as a child, even then. Um, and I know I read my mom's Agatha Christie, and then I, I also, as a young child, like, I mean, about eight years old or something, at one point I was reading the entire Nancy Drew series, and I was really put out because I think at that time there were about 102 or 103 books in the series, and I specifically couldn't find two of them. I think it was number 99 and number 101, and I, I was dragging my mom around to all these <laughs> libraries and other places trying to find them and I don't think I ever did um, but I certainly remember those um, and I was a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe I had a cousin come from out west and he he brought Edgar Allan Poe uh, collected stories as a present for my older brother and I confiscated it at some point although he loved it too in fact I just refound that in my parents library and took it home for my son so I and, I, you know, as you read my bio, but um, we lived out in the countryside and we didn't have much television. We had one of those little 1970s setups with the rabbit ears that my brother would have to stand and hold the, the rabbit ear <laughs> antenna or I would have to. And so you couldn't get much. But one thing we did get was PBS murder mysteries and we would watch them Saturday nights. And I, I don't know whether it was the Edward Gorey drawings at the beginning and that opening sequence that got me but so obviously I was quite interested in gothic horror and mystery and I I still am although I read everything um and I don't just read mystery as well I mean I think right now I'm trying to read through the books that were shortlisted in the Booker Prize and I'm really enjoying so I read a little bit of everything mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned Edgar Allan Poe. I'm also a big Poe fan. Do you have a favorite of his stories? Probably The Telltale Heart is, is a good one. Um, I actually just read a book by uh, an Australian writer who just moved from London to Australia who's written a book called Edgar Allan Poe and the London Monster, and it's reimagining Edward, uh, Edgar Allan Poe 
in Victorian London in a mystery, and it's really wonderfully written, and it really uses the same kind of language. It, it pays homage to Edgar Allan Poe really nicely. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, I have to say I would read anything by Poe. Mm-hmm. I am going to check out that book. That sounds yes, very interesting. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Um, okay, so towards the end of all of our episodes, I like to ask the authors that we chat with um, nine rapid-fire questions. I just call them the Nerd Nine. These are very easy, nothing too challenging here, but um, you can't give the only rule is you can't give them too much thought. So the first thing that comes okay. to your mind. <laughs> so the first one is, what is the last book you finished? Um, finished? Um... I'm, I'm partway through Do Not Say We Have Nothing right now by Madeline Chen in Vancouver, and I can't remember what the last book I read was before that. Um, <laughs> That's right. We can let that one work. That'll work. <laughs> um, what is your favorite place to read? I like to read in my room. I, I generally read before I go to bed each night. I like to read anywhere, but um, usually I only have time late at night, so it's usually in my room. That's totally understandable. Uh, do you have a guilty pleasure? Yes. Not even guilty. <laughs> <laughs> um, will you, would you mind sharing it with us? Well, what is my guilty pl- Oh, sorry. I thought you said that was a guilty pleasure. Oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. Do you, my, do you have a guilty oh, pleasure? My, um, I think my guilty pleasure is probably watching some of the series that have been um, made out of books like Game of Thrones. I'm kind of addicted to Game of Thrones, and I'm I'm waiting for the next episodes and the next book. Um, But sometimes I think, like, I enjoyed that book, but it wasn't, you know, I really enjoyed that book, but it wasn't my favorite book ever. But um, I do enjoy when a good series is made out of a good book. I I would agree. What's, uh, What's one place you'd like to travel that you haven't yet been to? Costa Rica, I'm really looking forward to, and also Cuba. Cuba is high on my list before it um, changes too much. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, what is your favorite holiday? My favorite holiday, uh, Halloween, because I I love costumes and I love the fact that you can imagine anything you want to and become that for one night. Perfect. What's your favorite movie? Blade Runner, definitely. I'm a sucker for a good noir. That's a good one. Uh, Are you a cat person or a dog person? Dog person. And I I have a dog, and sadly, he's still back in England. Um, When we moved back to Canada, uh, he stayed with uh, my mother-in-law, and now she doesn't want to give him up. So... Dog person pining for my dog right oh, now. Oh, as a massive dog person, I can't even imagine. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, what is your favorite food? Japanese food, gyoza, probably. Nice. And then if you could have... I lived in Japan. Oh, oh nice. Um, I lived in Japan for a year, so I'm kind of addicted to Japanese food, which is very good in Vancouver. That would make sense. Uh, and then if you could have dinner with any person alive or dead who would you choose margaret atwood because i think she's the best writer of our time and um i'm fascinated by her and i i can't wait to read her next book it's on my short list of books to read right now 
That's a really good one. And then our last question for you before I let you go. Uh, what do you hope readers take away from reading Strange Things Done? Um, well, firstly, I hope they're entertained. Um, it's, it's meant to be entertaining. Um, and then I've tried to put a sort of breadcrumb trail in for readers that want to work a little harder. Um, that I hope that they'll go away and think about it and um, ruminate on it a little bit. That is... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. I will, Elle, thank you so much for joining us today. We very much appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for your time and interest. I really appreciate it. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.